The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Have us consider a passage in Luke chapter 22, a brief passage, verses 31 through 34. Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 34. And this is the word of God. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Amen. That's far the reading of God's word. Let's seek his blessing and pray. Father, how we do bless you for your blessed word of truth, which you have given to us. Father, as we look to that word again this morning, we pray that you would come to us. Come by your spirit. Indeed, we ask that the spirit of truth would come and guide your people into all truth and help us to believe and to obey all that you would teach us this day. For we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Wonderful word of application this morning. We've been reminded of our duty, even with the baptism of a precious little one, of our duty to help those who are weak. Uh, Strengthen your brothers. There it is in verse 32. Strengthen your brothers. I trust that such would be your desire to be a person who would strengthen your brothers and your sisters in the Lord. But how will it be possible if all of the powers of hell are are waged against us? Satan comes against us. He seeks to, to, to thwart our strengthening efforts. He seeks to render us powerless in our lives. We see that, I think, as we see what Christ says about Satan's demand in the text here, his demand of Simon and the other disciples The first time we see the word you in verse 31 is actually plural. Jesus Jesus says, Satan demanded to have you all, as it were. That is, all the disciples. This certainly speaks to something of of Satan's unique attack on the apostles in particular. But then Jesus focuses even more particularly on what will be uh, Peter's personal experience. From verse 32 onward, the word you is singular. But, but I have prayed for you, that is, for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so the text speaks to Satan's attack on the apostles and, to, uh, and on uh, Peter in particular. But we do well to remember that, that Satan is after all Christians, isn't he? That he prowls about like a roaring lion, as Peter will later write. That's a sobering truth, and I think we're reminded of that truth as we, uh, in our text this morning, as we see the way Christ kind of opens up for, for, for Peter and for the disciples and for all of us this morning, kind of a, a window into the dark, unseen world of Satan's own wicked heart and his desires. And yet we see also that our, our text shines so brightly with the light of Christ and his glory, his work which is in contrast with and which, which counters the work 
of Satan in this text. What marvelous words. But I have prayed for you. Think about those words this morning. Marvelous for Simon and marvelous for us. What was true in a special way for the apostles and for Simon Peter is true for all of us this morning. It's true for every believer. Our message this morning is this. Satan seeks to sift, but Christ savingly prays and sustains such that we strengthen. Satan seeks to sift, but Christ savingly prays and sustains such that we strengthen, that is, we become strong and we are able in that strength to strengthen one another. So I want to unpack that message this morning by considering three things, our three main points this morning. We're going to consider, first, Christ's perfect finished work of intercession, but then we'll consider, secondly, his ongoing work of intercession, and lastly, we'll consider its result, our strength in him or our strengthening grace in Christ. So consider first, then, Christ's perfect work of intercession. Jesus is the great intercessor, the one who intercedes on behalf of us sinners. He mediates between us and God. Satan's evil demand to sift became the occasion for Christ to reveal, really reveal the gospel of his salvation by grace through faith alone in such a wonderful way. It's a salvation which is based wholly upon him, isn't it? His person, his work, his perfect suffering obedience. Peter would only be able to strengthen others as he would learn of the source of that strength, as he would learn to stand on the foundation of Christ and his righteousness. And it's, it's beautiful the way in which the Lord would prepare the apostles to proclaim that true gospel of, of salvation in Christ alone by allowing them to learn, of their, learn by their own experience of their desperate need of the grace of that gospel. And we see that particularly with, with Simon Peter, don't we? Poor Simon Peter. Here it is again, his, his inaccurate, exalted view of himself didn't seem to escape the attention of any of the gospel writers, just like the other three gospels. Here Luke shows us Peter's confident boast. Lord, I'm ready. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. That, that was Peter's pride, you see. Elsewhere, uh, Matthew's gospel, he says, even if the rest deny you, I never will. I will lay down my life for you. Really, Peter? Do you see yourself as the faithful one? Are you the one that will, who, who will perfect suffering, obedience? No, in truth, as verse, verse 34 reminds us, in truth, Peter would become part of the terrible pain of Christ's Suffering, Jesus, as I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you've denied three times that you know me. And yet we see that the Lord in his wisdom and sovereignty would even use this, even use Simon's sinful pride as well as the evil of Satan himself for such glorious good purposes. Luke shows us how Peter's denial of, uh, of Christ is, it really is part of, uh, of Satan's evil scheming, isn't it? It would not produce the final result that Satan desired, not any more than it did in the, in, in the story of Job, that other saint, the, the old covenant saint, remember Job, against whom the evil one mounted kind of a similar attack. But as in the case of Job, so also with Simon, there will be a, a painful ordeal. It will involve, we see that word, 
sifting, sift. John Calvin described this, this sifting as Simon being tossed up and down and shaken with violence. The imagery reminds me of uh, when we were uh, missionaries living in, in Karamoja during the harvest time. They would harvest the, 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 the wheat or the, uh, the sorghum or the maize and they would lay it out and they would dry the grain. But then once it's dry, they would take it and they would fill up these, these basins. And it was amazing the way these strong Karamojo women would throw the grain high up into the air, high up into the air, and the strong winds would carry away the chaff. Satan's desire here was that, that, that Peter and the other uh, disciples would be shown to be like that chaff, that they would, be, they would prove themselves unfaithful, untrue disciples of Jesus, and they would be blown away by the wind. Satan was permitted to do serious shaking, as, as Calvin described it. The apostles were driven about with unusual severity by the death of Christ. And there's, there's no de- denying uh, Satan's activity in the events which were about to occur. Over in verse 53 of the same chapter, we see our Lord's words to his accusers there in the last part of the verse. It says, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. And so his accusers were very much in league with, with the evil one, Satan himself. In a very real sense, this was Satan's hour, and yet wonderfully at the same time, it was not his hour. This was, this was Christ's hour. Here again, by God's wisdom, the, the light of Christ's righteous obedience shines amidst the darkness, even against the great darkness of the schemes of the evil one. When, one th- theologian, Herman Ritterboss, says some wonderfully encouraging, I think, uh, helpful insights into what was going on here as Satan was demanding to have Simon. He suggests that this was Satan's effort to usurp our Lord's messianic authority. And so there's a connection here between Satan's demand to sift and that work which is ascribed to, to Jesus, the Messiah, in his coming judgment. Remember, Christ will come, and he will come to sift, won't he? Matthew chapter 3, verse 12, tells us that his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so writes Ritterboss, Satan is, is here represented as the Antichrist, the Antichrist, who in the, the fire of trials will try to take away all that seems to belong to God. He acts as Christ's adversary who wants to rob him of his booty. But he fails. Why? Because he's countered by a greater power, by Christ's righteousness. Ritterboss continues, in opposition to this, Jesus raises up his prayer. What a beautiful picture this morning. Just think about that. I think it it reminds us how wonderfully the, the kingdom came, but it came not in a way that the people were expecting it. They were expecting it to come and, and the king coming in great glory and immediately taking the kingdom. Instead, what does it come by? Not by, not by self-exaltation, but it comes by humble, perfect, suffering obedience. Jesus would suffer. The Son of Man would suffer. That's Luke's message. He would suffer first and then enter into his glory. And in this way, we see how our Savior's character is so, so polar opposite, contrary to that of the evil one. Here, Satan was the one who had exalted himself, right? Seeking himself to take the place of God. Christ, by contrast, is the one who was God, and yet he 
lowered himself. And so as Ritterbosk rightly points out, we see a striking contrast between praying and claiming. You see that? Satan is, doing the, one who is the one doing the claiming. He's demanding. What is Christ doing? Christ is praying, praying. Ritterboss writes, in praying, there's an element of subjection, and subjection indeed, perfect submission. You know, we might think to ourselves, why didn't Jesus just, just counter Satan's attack by simply asserting his divine authority, right? I'm God. Who are you? You won't take what's mine. And why didn't he just immediately crush him? Well, we know the answer, that in order to bind that strong man, the evil one, and plunder his goods, first the Son of Man had to lower himself in submission to the Father. In order to save us, Christ had to suffer and die for us. Yes, this was in, in, in contrast to Satan. And, and really, it was even in contrast with Peter, proud Peter. Ironically, leading up to the crucifixion, we find at times that, that Peter's the one who is acting like Satan, exalting himself above the rest, boasting of his power. Though they all fall away, I will never fall away. And here God, in his great wisdom, would allow Simon Peter and the rest of the disciples to be sifted, as it were, for a time to fall into temptation. They would all prove unfaithful, how marvelously this would prepare them for the great work of going forth and proclaiming not themselves but Christ and the gospel of salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone, his perfect, his person and his work, his suffering obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. And it would be a gospel in which they would, they would also proclaim, our second point this morning, they would proclaim Christ's ongoing work of intercession. It's all because of Christ, his finished work, and all out of that, those merits flow, his ongoing work of intercession. It's only because of him, his grace, that we are given to believe in the first place and to continue to believe. He grants faith and he sustains faith, and our text teaches us that not only, not only is Jesus the object of our faith, he's, he's the one uh, in whom we trust, but he's the source of our faith. Our faith comes from Christ. Christ is the one who, who grants faith. Faith is a gift of God. You know, when we might ask the question, why is it that we believe? Why is it that we have unbelieving neighbors, perhaps, that live all around us? Is it because somehow we are better than they were, a bit more clever? We were able to, 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 to figure out who Jesus is and, and put our trust in him, of course, to think that way is to think contrary to faith. It's to fail to understand the grace of Christ. Paul wrote to the Christians in Ephesus, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. See that? Even, even the believing part. Faith is not your own doing. It is the gift of God so that no one may boast. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and nine, how powerfully this was shown through Simon's experience. We praise God that, that his falling away was not in the final sense. But brothers and sisters, at the end of, of, of Simon's sifting ordeal, think about it, having, having denied his Lord three times, having wept those, those bitter tears, what would Simon Peter have left 
stripped of every ounce of his pride and his dignity, when at last he would meet his Lord again, now risen from the dead, what, did, what, what could Simon say? What did he have to offer Jesus? A few fish? Even those fish were Jesus' gift to him. Peter had nothing, nothing save one thing, that one thing which Jesus prayed would not fail. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Faith. Faith is nothing but the empty, the empty hands of a beggar receiving, and that's all that Peter had. That's all that he had left. And Peter would, would remember the words of his Lord, and no doubt Peter would, would then understand that the only reason that his, his faith had remained at all was because of the praying work, the intercessory work of Christ. Out of the great intercessory work of his death, his, his, his death on the cross would flow his ongoing intercessory work. And that means that that Peter's faith in the end did not fail for only one reason, because Jesus had died for Peter. Christ had died for him, and Christ sustained his faith. In the end, for those for whom Christ has shed his precious blood, Satan's demanding it would all be in vain, wouldn't it? Praise God for that. Satan would not win. He would lose. But again, how is it? How is it Christ's victory is made ours this morning? How does, it, how does it continue to be our victory? How do we remain in the victory of Christ? How do we live in his victory? Well, it's through faith. The Apostle John writes, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. By the way, when we, when we forget this, God has an amazing way of reminding us of this by, by bringing trials into our lives. Trials are, are sifting experiences, are they not? Perhaps you, you're experiencing great trials in your life right now. Perhaps, perhaps right now you feel like a, a kernel of sorghum or, or maize like I saw in Karamoja being tossed up and down violently. Trials have a way of reminding us of our weakness and of our, our desperate need of the Lord. And when by God's grace we are able and able to, to persevere through those trials and continue believing, we continue in faith, we, we show that we are not like chaff blown away by the wind. We show that we are, we are those who, by, who stand in the true grace of Christ. Peter would later teach the Christians what, what he learned by his own experience when fiery trials have, have burned away all of the impurities, as it were, then wonderfully, by the grace of God, our faith is proven genuine. So Peter wrote, you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold though, gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. First Peter, uh, First Peter chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. And as you think about that, we might ask the question this morning, why is that? Why is it that at the revelation of Jesus Christ, he will be the one to receive all of the praise and the glory and the honor for our faith and for the genuineness of our faith? Well, here again, because our faith is all his doing from beginning to end. It's, it's all the product of his intercessory work, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Peter would learn to trust not in himself, 
but in Christ's finished work, his suffering obedience, and to trust in Christ's ongoing work, his intercessory work. And then consider, lastly, its result, our strength in him, that is, by the grace of Christ, then, Peter would be, and you and I also are called to be, uh, those who are to be sources of strength for one another. We are, we are sanctified by the grace of Christ, by his strengthening grace, that we might strengthen our brothers and our sisters. And when you have turned again, strengthen. Strengthen your brothers, Jesus says. What a marvelous double reversal, if you think about it here. Peter thought he was so strong and he was made so weak but then he was brought and made so weak such that Christ, Christ might raise him up and by him, his grace make him to be so strong. But he would be strong not for himself, but for his brothers, for his brothers and sisters. Notice, by the way, that there was, there was never any doubt, not in the mind of Christ, never any doubt that Peter would be restored. It wasn't a question of, of if, but a question of when and when you have turned again. As surely as, as I have prayed for you, you most so, certainly will be restored, Peter. And think about how amazing it is what, what, what Christ was experiencing even as he spoke those words. I mean, he made this promise. He gave this, 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 this uh, command and this promise to Peter knowing what this same Peter was about to do to him. The rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. You know, Christ himself, he's the one who, who had every reason to feel emotionally weakened by what he was about to face, no, uh, weakened by the, the, the knowledge of what his own friends were about to do to him. They would all betray him. And yet, yet even amidst his weakness, he speaks such wonderfully strengthening words, promising restoration and promising strengthening Grace. Talk about one who repaid evil with good. And brothers and sisters, I hope we see this morning again. I hope we see so clearly that, that, that Jesus was speaking these words not only for the benefit of those disciples, not just for Peter, not even just for those early Christians to whom Peter would minister. He was thinking about you and me. We are those brothers, the brothers and sisters who would be strengthened because Peter would be Restored. We are those who've received this apostolic word to the end that we would be strengthened by that word this morning. Does that thought not strengthen you? Perhaps you feel, feel weak this morning. Maybe you've had a hard week. Maybe you've experienced significant trials indeed. Maybe you feel weak physically from fighting off sickness. Perhaps you, you, you feel weak emotionally. You've been carrying around sorrow in your heart. Uh, maybe you feel morally, spiritually weak. It's been a week in which you've not done such a great job of, 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 of fighting, uh, uh, putting to death the flesh, fighting the, 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 the temptation unto sin. You know, in so many ways, this side of our lives will always be fraught with weakness. In fact, cursed by sin, the Bible even describes death itself as our, our, our bodies are we die and we're laid in the ground. As it describes that as being sown in weakness. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 43. And yet this command to Peter so wonderfully reminds us of the strength of Christ even amidst our weakness. God has not left us 
in our weakness. He comes to us and he strengthens us. The gospel is all about the grace of God saving weak sinners. Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. And so what a blessed command then, how it speaks so powerfully to our sanctification. Strengthen your brothers. Of course, this this speaks particularly to to Peter's apostolic ministry. What, What a wondrous story it is. We know the story. Christ did restore Peter, and Christ would call Peter to go forth and feed the sheep. And what could be more strengthening than that? What could be more strengthening than than, than bearing eyewitness testimony of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? And and again, proclaiming that, that great salvation by grace through faith in his finished work alone. Peter would proclaim that message. Peter would become one of the, the pillars of the church. What a source of strength. Yes, again, that, that gospel testimony entrusted to him and the other apostles, even uh, is, 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 our text this morning is part of that message. And so, yes, the, the, these are a powerful, these words are to be a powerful means which come to us and by the Holy Spirit strengthen us this morning as we continue to fight the good fight of the faith. And the Lord Jesus does, does so. He strengthens us. Not, again, not that we would be strong only for ourselves. As I mentioned in the beginning, the command to Peter, it comes to all of us. We are all called to be those who strengthen our brothers and sisters. Thinking again of trials, Peter's story should, should encourage us, by the way, to, to see God's, God's good purpose in allowing us to go through trials, to go through these experiences where we're made to feel so weak. Uh, that's not to say that, that when we face trials, it's necessarily that we're denying Christ three times the way that Peter did, or that trials are necessarily a, 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 a discipline because of sin that we may have committed. But it is a, a good thing. Uh, trials do humble us, and yes, they are a means by which the Lord works in our lives and shows us our sin. I wonder if Peter was thinking about his own sifting experience, particularly when he wrote to the Christians these words, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Peter needed to be humble, didn't he? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a, a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Those were Peter's words in 1 Peter 5, verses uh, uh, verses 6 through 11. Encouraging words to Christians who themselves were suffering much persecution. And we, again, do well to think about God's good purpose in allowing these trials. They're They're not pleasant. They're painful, as indeed we're confronted by our our weakness and our sin, but by God's grace, as we persevere through them, we are strengthened by them, and we're strengthened by them so that we might then be better able to strengthen one another.
during one of the very uh, greatest trials of my own life, I remember such a timely word of exhortation which came from a brother. It's when we were in Africa, and Sunshine miscarried. We lost the baby, and then she hemorrhaged in the night, and God's providence, uh, our clinic had not yet been opened up, and suddenly we were sort of panicked, rushing her two hours to Mbale, and I wasn't doing a very good job of being strong. I was losing it emotionally. And a good friend whom many of you know well, Dr. Curdo, I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, David, sunshine needs you to be strong for her now. I don't know how strong I was. Tried to pull it together, and in God's grace, we got to Mbali, and praise God, obviously, sunshine turned out to be just fine. But, but I have to believe this day that... that, that that I went through that experience as a means by which God made me stronger so that I might be able to strong, uh, strengthen others. You know, at times when you go through trials and you're brought so low and you feel so weak, be encouraged by the fact that your strong, sovereign God has his hand in those trials and he, he brings you through it to the end that you will be stronger for it. And you need to be stronger a good, good reason why we, we have a duty to be strengthened, yes, to, to persevere through trials and, and to the end that we would persevere through trials, that we would be giving ourselves diligently to those means of grace, clinging to Christ and his word, that we might be stronger again, not for ourselves, because there will be, but because there will be those weak ones in our lives, and they need us. They need you to be strong. And so we should heed this word of exhortation, this command from our Lord to Simon as his command to us, his promise to us. Yes, it's true. Satan would love to have every one of us. He would sift us like wheat, but we stand in the grace of Christ. We stand in the grace of our great intercessor who has died for us and who prays for us. And, and, and he's praying that our faith will not fa- fail. And if we belong to him, our faith will not fail. We'll stumble, we'll sin, we'll fall, but he will forgive us again and again. And so by his grace, when we have turned, let us be those who strengthen our brothers. May God help us to be so. Let's pray together. Lord God, we do thank you for... Uh, the blessing of belonging to such a wonderful Savior. How we bless you, Lord God, that we are those who are loved by you in Christ Jesus. We confess, Lord God, that we are weak, but we're thankful that he is strong and we are strong in him. And we're reminded, Lord God, of our total dependence upon you, your grace this day, even to derive any benefit from you and your word. So pour out your grace upon us, Lord God. Fill us with this, your word. Use it, we, uh, we pray, in our lives to conform us into the image of Christ. Oh, Lord, make us strong that we might be strong for our brothers and sisters for the glory of your great name. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.